0: This is the Southwest Christadelphian Bible School, the 18th of July, 1998. This is class number six. Our speaker is Brother John Martin. His subject is, Let Him That Thinketh He Standeth. Today's title is, You Cannot Drink the Cup of the Lord and the Cup of Devils. Amalek would have a fill day with all these stragglers. Still coming. Well, brothers and sisters, we've come now to the end of this magnificent argument of the Apostle Paul concerning those relationships in ecclesial life that are generated when we have these differences of opinion. And I just want to pick up the argument so as we can just end the the 10th chapter and put it all in context. It's a magnificent argument. It started off by categorising the two groups as the weak and the strong, as you will know. The weak were those who whose conscience would not allow them to go near that idol's temple or to eat anything offered under idols, and by that attitude they were really giving some credence to the fact that the idol was in existence, and they were intellectually wrong. On the other hand, the strong saw the matter very clearly doctrinally, brothers and sisters, and and they felt a freedom to do that, and by so doing, the apostle Paul said that by the wrong use of that freedom they could lead their poor weak brother into error if he saw them doing it he would follow them and for him it is wrong and that therefore to him it was sin. and so they had to be very careful what they did in case they gave a wrong lead to others that was the argument of chapter eight now in chapter nine he argued very strongly that he himself had enormous freedoms uh, not just freedoms of intellectual uh, justification for the things he felt he could do. Far above that, brothers and sisters, he had a de- freedom of a divine right as an apostle to partake of his expenses, for example. And he, 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 he didn't do it. He didn't do something that God had said he could do. Uh, and they, didn't, they weren't told that, but he was and he said god said i can do this and he told me even through the voice of his own son that i could do it but i'm not going to because he said i don't want to be a cause of stumbling to anybody that's a magnificent attitude and then when he moved into chapter 10 brethren and sisters the the argument changed again and he said now look and he addresses the strong and he said, now look, I'm telling you that by the very exercise of your intellectual freedom, he says, you, you may think you're simply just leading your brother into error and you may not do it for that reason, but he said, I'm going to tell you that your intellectual freedom of movement is going to bring you, never mind about your weak brother, forget about him for the moment, you're in danger. And all of a sudden, the wheel is turned right around, hasn't it? And now really, the strong brother has become weak uh, because his insistence that he could go up into that idol's temple, into that very dangerous environment, brothers and sisters, where uh, there was the great pull of temptation to indulge in matters that were sensual and licentious and evil was all around him. Paul says, you better watch yourself as well as your weak brother. And so he argued powerfully, therefore, that there's only one thing to do uh, in that circumstance is they found themselves up there in circumstances where their flesh could not c- c- could be constrained. He said, there's the exit. God has made a way of escape. God did not make a way to endure. Get out. Get out. And that was his final exhortation to the point that we've considered it. But now, brothers and sisters, there's another argument. And this is a delicate one, which could be easily misunderstood by them, and Paul qualifies what he means. And he opens up this argument by saying, now look, I speak as to wise men, think what I'm going to tell you. And he's going to set forth, brothers and sisters, another argument whereby he's going to show them that there is a scriptural reason why they shouldn't go up there apart from their weak brother and apart from their own temptations there is a scriptural argument against it and it's this now he said you're wise you're you're strong you're you're, you're brilliantly intellectual listen to this now he says the cup of blessing which we bless it's something we do together is it not the participation in the blood of christ now you think about that it's something we do together and in doing it together we we do it to participate koinonia is the word communion we do it to participate together with the blood of christ so when jesus distributed the wine in luke 22 he said to his disciples take this and Share it, divide it among yourselves. Share my life. What a wonderful thing. And we all sit together, he said. We all take of that wine and we share it together. Isn't that true, he said? Yes, it's true. Now he said, look about the bread we break. Is it not the communion or the partaking, the participation in the body of Christ? Isn't it true of the bread also? You think about it. You're wise. You you people say you've got the understanding. Well, we'll concentrate upon the principles of that. And so you see, the point he's making is this, brothers and sisters. He says, look, you you, you don't become one to partake of the bread. You are one because you partake of the bread. They don't engage in the act because they are one. They are made one by engaging in the act. See the point? Oh, we know we've got to be one, brothers and sisters, to, to be in the truth and, and to be in fellowship. That, we, that's understood. But it's, you see, it's not that we've decided to become one and therefore we go and become one with Christ. It's because we're one with Christ that we're one with one another. It's the other way around. He says, you're wise, think about that. So you see what he's doing. We do things together to participate in something that's made us one. Now, it's a powerful argument, because he's going to apply it in a minute. But he's not ready to apply it yet, because he wants to take it a step further. Now he says, verse 18, think about Israel after the flesh. Are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers with the altar? Isn't that true? You're wise, men. Think about that. Well, it was true because, you see, uh, we read in in Leviticus 6 and and verses 24 to 26 that when the priest was to bring the sin offering, he was to burn the fat upon the altar. Now, I'm not turning these references up because we we can conserve a bit of time, and I know you believe me. the fat was put upon the altar and in leviticus chapter 3 that fat was called the food of the offering the food of the offering called also that in numbers chapter 18 so you see this is god's food and in malachi the altar is is likened to the table of yahweh it's his table so you know brothers and sisters for all the the intricate details of the law and its spiritual significance it was terribly simple it, it's just simply serving god a meal first so the father got served first with the best and the word for fat keleb in the hebrew for fat it does it does duty for the word best the word is used interchangeably for fat and for best so they served the head of the house the father of the house first with the best and they put it on his table as his portion of the meal now says Paul you're wise men think of what then happened it says in Leviticus that they were to the priests were then to eat his portion it says in the holy place but it really means in that context in the outer court by the altar it goes on to say that it says in a holy place that is besides the altar so he stood there brothers and sisters like this his God eating and he's standing right alongside of him and he's eating with him. Paul said, you're wise. Think about that. Make that a realism in your mind. It's like the memorial supper. We come and we sit with the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's first, isn't he? He's the head of the body. He's up there and, and he's had his portion. You know, is Psalm 16. He's got a wonderful portion, hasn't he? At the right hand of the Father. And he's been fed first with the best because that he's worthy of that and we're here brothers and sisters and he's condescended we didn't come because we were one to be one with him he's condescended to let us come to his table and when we participate we become one with him that's where it goes it doesn't, it doesn't come this way it goes that way the father's fed it doesn't go this way it goes that way and he said you think about that you're wise men you say you're strong and so there was his argument now there's a question in their mind of course over this they can see where he's leading and and they're thinking as they read this and Paul knows what they're thinking they're saying hey he's going to say to us that we can't go up into that idol's temple because there's something about that idol up there that's real that if we go up there and stand alongside of the idol well it's really a real thing and he, he said it wasn't isn't that the logical question? Of course it's the logical question. Here's the answer, verse 19. What am I saying then? See, he knew what they were thinking. Am I saying that the idol is anything? Am I saying that? Or am I saying that things offered into idols are anything? Am I? The answer is no. Well, Paul, what are you saying? This is what I'm saying. And here comes the application. But I say this, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye would have fellowship with the devils. He says, you may not see it that way, but brothers and sisters, they do. And when you go up there and you sit at their table and the idol's here and you're here, And the same food that's been fed to him as the head of this idolatrous worship, or her, I should say, because it's a woman, an immoral woman, a prostitute, the same thing that's been put on the prostitute's table. Now you take from their table and you sit here. You may say to me, ah, she's not even idle, but they don't think that. And they see you sitting over there and the conversation in that restaurant is, I thought the Christadelphians had a a doctrine that was unique to themselves. I never thought they'd come into the the church like this and uh, not worry about what we believe. They must have an open fellowship. That's what they're thinking. And to them, brothers and sisters, it's as real to them that they're in fellowship with the idol as it is to you when you went to the memorial supper. And you cannot erase that from their mind. And therefore, when you're going up to there, you may not feel in fellowship, but you are. Oh, is that a powerful argument? And he says this, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table at the table of the devil. You can't do it. And and if if that's the principle by which you eat in the ecclesia, brothers and sisters, as I said before, the ritual up in that temple was identical, says the records that they found, is identical with the memorial supper. They had a sacrificial meal offered to their God and they sat around and they had their meal with bread and wine. And whilst the strong brother may have seen the clear difference between the two, they didn't. And you see, brothers and sisters, it's a very serious matter, isn't it? So we can intellectually justify something. We can. And we may be working in an office or in a factory or somewhere where there are other brothers and sisters working, who don't have that view. And we may participate. The the, the manager might call us into the office to have a little chat about whatever it is he wants to talk. We might be the head of the department or something, and there might be Christadelphians in that department. And he calls us into the office to have a chat about the running of the business, and sits down behind the desk and take a seat. I'd like a chat about some matters here. We need to clear up. He reaches into the cupboard and gets the boss, the best of the of the port or the sherry or whatever that they they have around the place and he pours a couple of glasses he said let's have a little drink and the brother thinks well there's nothing wrong with that i can i can i can give you a battery of scripture which says that, that there's, there's nothing wrong with wine it's it, it's a, it's a symbol of joy and gladness and jesus drank wine and he, he 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 has a battery of scripture to prove that so he reaches out and he takes a few sips and it's quite nice and he may not drink and on normal occasions and the manager's sitting there thinking those other Christadelphians out there don't do that. They refuse it. They, on principle, oh, there must be, um, must be an open view on this, or perhaps they, it really doesn't matter. I can tell you a story, brothers and sisters, that's horrible, absolutely horrible, uh, where. There were two brethren working in a firm and they hadn't had much contact with each other and one of them didn't know the other was a Christadelphian. But the other did know that this chap was a Christadelphian but because they rarely ever came in contact with each other uh, it, it was never communicated that they were Christadelphians. Now one of them knew that the other brother was a Christadelphian but the other brother didn't know he was a Christadelphian. And the complication was dreadful that happened over that. When the brother who didn't know that that was a brother there in his presence did things which were downright immoral downright immoral in the company of other people in the office and found out later that that was a brother standing there was involved in that incident and he was red to the gills when he found that out now paul says you be careful about the exercise of what and he didn't have any freedom to do that immorality he didn't have intellectual freedom to do that But there may be things which you think are okay, brothers and sisters, but the world sees it differently. And I want to talk about that later. And so he said, you're wise men, and you see this quite clearly, don't you? You understand the principles that we are one because we're standing alongside the table. We didn't come to the table to... We didn't get together and decide that we're at one so we can come to the table. No way. We came to the table to be made one. Well, what do you think they're thinking up there? So you see the argument is turning, brothers. It's a 180 degree turn, isn't it? Who's weak now and who's strong? Now, Paul says this. They sacrifice the devils. Now, in verse 22, he says, Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Now, what's he talking about? Well, you see, he's quoting Deuteronomy 32, isn't he? Now, have a look at this. Here's where he's coming from. And in the 32nd chapter of Deuteronomy, you listen. It says this, in verse 15, But Jeshurun, that means the upright one, and he's talking there, brothers and sisters, of Israel. Israel waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat, thou art grown thick, thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God, which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. So affluence led Israel away from their God. They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods, With abominations provoke they to him to anger. That's 1 Corinthians 10. Listen to the next verse. They, Israel, sacrifice unto devils, not to God. To gods whom they knew not. To new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. So Israel went to idolatry, really went to it. Not just like this brother up there who who subconsciously was was with it, brothers and sisters, or just by his presence. He wasn't with it his mind. Israel were right in it. And says the record of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful and has forgotten God that formed thee. Rock. This chapter uses the rock in verse 4, twice in verse 13, once in verse 15, once in verse 18... Once in verse 30, twice in verse 31, once in verse 37. It's the rock chapter. And, says Paul, and that rock was Christ. Now here, here's God is the rock here, of course, and, and, and in First Corinthians 10, the rock is the Lord Jesus Christ because he is like his Father. You know, in Daniel it says the stone cut out of the mountains without hands. The word for mountains is not mountains. The word is zur. It's the stone carved out of the rock. And to use a colloquial term with meaning no irreverence at all, brothers and sisters, but we might get the point, Jesus was a chip off the block, wasn't he? He was exactly like his father in character so here's the rock here and there's the rock in Corinthians and when Israel went to idolatry you see what were they doing they were unmindful that the rock had begotten them now a rock's got no natural life in it at all how could a rock have children but it has no natural life but some rocks brothers and sisters are full of character and therefore the fatherhood of God is stamped upon them by their character and when they went to idolatry they're nothing like God and so they had forsaken the rock now Paul says and that rock was Christ and you came to the memorial meeting and you stood here and you were made one by the fact that he is the rock and you went up there into the the idol's temple which is the exact opposite to him and the character of this meeting and the character of that meeting externally, ostensibly looked the same and they are poles apart and you'd forgotten that your rock was here that's Deuteronomy 32, and that's what he quotes in First Corinthians 10. Isn't that marvellous? And he brings that to their attention, brothers and sisters. And he said, do you provoke him to jealousy? They were provoking God to jealousy. Now, brothers and sisters, we, we, we talk about jealousy, and, and we say, you know, we, p- people are jealous one of another, and we say, what a terrible evil that is. And it is. But there's a sense in which jealousy is altogether wonderful. Altogether wonderful. Paul said to the Corinthians, I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. The Greek, the jealousy of God. Uh, God said to Moses, I am a jealous God. Zechariah says, I am jealous with Zion with a great jealousy. It's a wonderful thing that God is jealous. You know why? There's no way a person could be jealous of another person unless they love them if your wife or your husband ran off with another person and you were not jealous you clearly did not love them it's, you cannot deny that and paul says are you going to provoke him to jealousy are you going to repeat that performance of the memorial meeting meaningfully which you as wise men knew the principle are you now going to go up there and practice that and you think that 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 it's not going to be create jealousy because god knows that whilst you may be thinking that it's just simply a meal he knows the gentiles don't think that and he knows that the gentiles have embraced you as their lover and you're going to provoke god to jealousy you beware he says are you stronger than him Now, what he means by that, brothers and sisters, is this. He said, you're pressing your claims to go up there. Well, he says, God's pressing his claims upon you. Who's stronger? Who's going to win the fight? When you fight against God and say, I've got a right to go up there. And God says, yes, and I've got a right to demand your love, because I love you. Now, he said, who's right? Oh, what a marvellous argument that is. Oh, brothers and sisters, that was a powerful argument and, and that, it's the love of Christ ought to constrain all our actions the love of Christ brothers and sisters should constrain all our actions that's what the apostle is saying now for verse 23 the question then becomes all right Paul so the idol's temple's out now does that mean this is the obvious question you think about it it's wonderful to follow the contextual argument I love that I would like to see brothers and sisters, Scripture presented contextually, and you see here he's saying. And, and the next question would be, okay, Paul. So I got the point. We can't repeat the performance of the memorial meeting here, even even in that way. If we don't, if we don't equate it, in, in, they do, and therefore we see the point. So that's out. Now that mean, therefore, that we can't partake of idols, meet unto idol at all. Is total abstinence necessary? The answer is no. Paul's not going to go back on his word he, 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 he believed that the idol didn't affect the meat so he says no, no, no I haven't changed my mind And then he tells them in verse 23 look he says all things are lawful for me so I haven't changed my mind I, I, I'm not saying I can't buy uh, the meat off to the idols I'm, I'm not going back on my word I'm just saying to you not up there now he says all things are lawful to me but he said they're not all expedient You see, all things are lawful. They're not all expedient, he said. All things are lawful for me, but they don't always edify. So he says, no, I'm not saying that total abstinence is necessary. He said, all things are lawful to me, but he said, "Uh, it's not expedient. It doesn't always help for me to exercise what's lawful to me. It doesn't always help. This is the point, brothers and sisters. And secondly, it's not always edifying. It doesn't always build up. Now, I want—I want to talk very. I want to talk to your hearts, brothers and sisters. I really do, because I'm going to talk to your heart in a minute. All the things I've heard of this school and all the people that's come to me—and there's been legions of them—we're slotting them in by the quarter bar. And your problems. Are, people haven't come to gossip. They've come to pour their heart out. Now, look. If everybody took that advice, when we walk through the portals of the ecclesial hall at a business meeting in particular and other meetings, if we thought to ourselves about our strong opinions, we said to ourselves, A, will it help? And B, will it build up? And if we governed what we said and did by those two principles, we would have a positive outcome to that meeting. Will it help? Is Is it expedient? And will it edify, build up? Will it do that? And Paul says, that's what I'm saying to you. No total absences is not always necessary. But you've got to question yourself as to what's going to be the impact of what you do. Now he says, verse 24, Let no man seek his own, but ever he, every his brother's wealth. His brother's good. You see, well, that's what wealth means. So the cardinal principle of exercise of any rights or don't exercise rights, whether you decide to do it or whether you decide not to do it, the absolute cardinal principle is the brothers and sisters' well-being. That's what it is. That's the overriding factor. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to do that. So oh, says, Paul, Whatsoever ever sold in the shambles? And the word shambles really means the meat meat market. You go down to the butcher. And his argument is, I won't read it to you because you know what it is. He says, you go to the butcher and you see that meat laid out. Now, you know that's offered to an idol. Now, Paul says, I'm not saying total abstinence is necessary. You ask him for a pound of steak, he'll wrap it up. And if he, if he just says, hey, nice day today, isn't it? It's going to be a thunderstorm tomorrow or whatever. If he doesn't say anything about that meat offered to me to idols, don't worry about it. But you notice it's the butcher shop. It's not the restaurant. It's not up there. It's at the butcher shop. That's different. Because there's nothing to attract him in the butcher shop. I mean, I'm not not attracted to a pork chop. (laughs) There's nothing that's going to tempt me in there. So I go in there and I buy that meat and and the butcher don't say nothing about it. I walk out and I enjoy my dinner. I know it's been offered to idle. Couldn't care less. But if the butcher was wrapping it up and says, uh, you know, I'm a member of the guild up here on the temple and uh, I feel very proud to be able to sell this stuff to you, you know, because this has all been offered to our, our lovely Aphrodite. Uh, no, thank you. Thank you, sir, very much. <whistles> Out the shop. Why? Because you've got a conscience about it? No, because he has. That's the issue. Not your consciences, Paul. You've got no conscience about it. But he has. Therefore, if you accepted that on that basis, that man could not be blamed for thinking that you don't care about your religion. Not only that, he couldn't be blamed for thinking that you condone idolatry. Not only that, but he couldn't be blamed for thinking that you you condone the idolatry of prostitution. And not only that, but he could not be blamed for thinking that Christadelphians have relationships outside marriage, willy-nilly, and they don't care about it. That's exactly what he would be be justified in thinking, by you accepting the meat on those terms. So you don't accept it. It's got nothing to do for you. He said, not your conscience. I don't say your conscience. His. Now the same may happen, he said, if you go to a meal, to a Gentile, an unbelieving house. So you might have some business associates. You might have people in the world who are nice people, and there are still some nice people in the world, let's face it. Our next-door neighbour is a lovely person. Her, her husband died a few years ago and he was a lovely person. And on the other side, it's the same. We, we pass the time of the day together. We don't mix, but we're respectful of each other. They've never asked us him for a meal and we wouldn't ask them. And I, I don't think it'll ever happen. But it may be, brothers and sisters, that you could be asked to go to someone's place for, for a meal. Well, Paul says, go. If you feel disposed to go, go. And if they serve up the meal and nothing is said, eat it and enjoy it opportunity to preach the truth perhaps but if when the table's set the hostess or the host says well this is lovely to have you around we've been wanting a long time to do this oh you do know how we we, we are religious people and uh, you know we really uh, we have a broad mind in our religion we don't sort of we're not narrow-minded we think there are alternative lifestyles Uh, and uh, actually this this meal is really dedicated to our ideals and I'm sure you won't mind up you get and say look I'm very sorry I don't want to offend you but there's no way I'm going to eat that meal why do you you believe in our idol no but you do and for me to eat that meal with you means that you'd be justified in telling everybody that as a Christadelphian I don't care and I do care you see brothers and sisters how it works and Paul says You do this, he says, in in that uh, 10th chapter, verse 25, he says, you you, you know, verse 26, for the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. What would he quote that for? For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now look at what he's saying. So you get up from the table and you walk out because you won't eat that because of that matter has been raised in your presence. Why? Because you believe that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That's Psalm 21. Psalm 24, rather, verse 1. Psalm 24. What's that about? Well, it says, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. And who shall stand in his holy hill? And his holy hill is the world. Not just a little hill in Zion. Well, who's going to stand in his holy hill? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. And therefore in this wide world which eventually will be holy brothers and sisters it's god's now it's just that they have besmirched it by putting these abominations around in various places so we're going to avoid them because we believe this earth in god's sight is going to be holy one day and really belongs to him now so we're moving in god's world what a wonderful way to put that And so we should always move in the world, brothers and sisters, with a view that it's the holy world, it's God's world, and we should not be mixed up with these matters. And and so that's what he's saying. And he says, "It's, it's, it's, it's not your conscience, it's his. And as he winds down his argument, brothers and sisters, it's beautiful. He says in verse 31, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, for whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offence to the Jews or to the Gentiles. Now, you see, that statement in verse 31 is the is the the words which we've got on the back of our hall at home. I don't know if you do this in America or, or Canada, but back home, it's the custom of our... When we build our ecclesial halls, each ecclesia makes a decision. It's an arbitrary matter. It just depends upon what they think. And they put on the back of their hall some lettering. They do it ornately or... they might even do it in blocked out in sort of wood and so forth and it's all very nicely done some ecclesias have uh, um, the lord shall be king over all the earth i know one ecclesia has the meek shall inherit the earth but you know when we decided as an ecclesia brothers and sisters we got up there do all to the glory of god and uh, if you pardon me here drawing attention to myself i don't like to do that i chose that And I chose it for this reason here, right here. Because to me, that that up there tells me as I walk through that door, I walk through and I see, do all to the glory of God. And I say to myself, John, you're going to say something today, you're going to do something today. A, will it be helpful? And B, will it build up? And C, will it be for the betterment of these people? Because that's what that's telling me on the back of the wall. It's from this context here. And for that reason, I suggested that the arranging brethren, and they thought that was a good idea, and not that it was only my idea, that they, 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 they approved that, and up it went. And that's what it means to me. And that's what it means in this context. And so the apostle says, give no offence to the Jew nor to the Gentile. And you think about that, mm. Jew and uh, Gentile, hey, they're poles apart. How do you move between those extremes without giving offence? Well, I'll tell you how you do it. Skillfully. Very skillfully. And delicately. Very, very skillfully. Because that's going to be very, very difficult to be all things of those two extremes, isn't it? Isn't that interesting? And he says, nor to the Ecclesia of God. Now you've got people like this. And when people get really close together and wrapped up spiritually and relationship-wise, you have got very great sensitivities. How do you give no offense to the Ecclesia? Very skillfully and very carefully. Because you're not dealing with extremes. You're dealing with people whose hearts and minds are knit. And there's nobody got more passionate feelings about each other than those who deep down really love each other. You know that? You always hurt the one you love. It's just a paradox of human nature. And giving no offence to the ecclesia is a tremendous task because you've got to take into account everybody's opinions and feelings and passions and emotions, their loves, their hates, and it's a tremendously difficult task. And brothers and sisters, there's no list can be made anywhere of what's expedient and what's not. You can't make lists. The only thing we can say is that fundamentally the doctrines are set fundamentally the moral practices are set they're all set nobody can have any argument about them because they are fundamental but in those that area there what we're talking about of these minor issues there is a great need brothers and sisters for delicate handling of matters and so paul says don't give offense to the poles of it part and don't give offense to those people whose hearts are knit together and it takes great skill to do that even as i please all men in all things, not seeking my own prophet, but the prophet of many, that they may be saved. And then we got chapter 11. And isn't that a great pity? Oh, look. Oh, look, the translators, you see, they put chapter and verse in the Bible, brothers and sisters, and we're glad they did. But there's no such thing in the Greek or Hebrew. I'm so glad it's there. but And, they, and in the main, 99.999%, it's been wonderful. But they do make their mistakes. And here's a classic. Because, you see, verse 1 doesn't belong to chapter 11 at all. It's clearly the end of chapter 10. Because, you see, you've got the second verse of chapter 11 that says, Now I praise you, brethren. And that is the phrase that Paul uses to open new subjects. That's the phrase he uses to open new subjects. Now concerning spiritual gifts. Now concerning uh, the things offered to idols. Now I praise you, brethren, remember in the audience, ordinances and so forth. He's going to launch now the memorial supper. Now let's read it, therefore, without the chapter division, because it's not there. Go back to verse 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Don't give offence to the extremes. Try and be delicate and skilful how you help people who have opposite opinions. And don't upset the ecclesia who are knit together in the love of God. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, with all that emotionally means, be careful with their emotions. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking a profit for myself, but I love my brethren and sisters, I, the prophet of a many people, that they might be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Oh, gee, brothers and sisters, isn't that a magnificent finish? didn't jesus do that what did he do he came among he was down there with the publicans and sinners he was there with the galilean fishermen he was there with the lawyers wasn't he of the law the doctors of the law he was there with the roman centurions he was there with the greeks that came to see him at the feast look at the extremes he had to deal with they came at him from all directions And when when they came to him, the Greeks, he says, if any man come to me, my father will help him. If any man, he says, whosoever believeth on the son would get eternal life, brothers and sisters. Look at the extremes he dealt with. And never at any stage did he give offence except to the strong. And the only people who were really offended and who at last stirred all the rest up too, but the ones who were really offended at him were those who said they were strong. And he couldn't save them. Because they didn't want to be saved. But he didn't come to condemn them either. This is the condemnation that men love darkness. He came to show them light. He didn't come to condemn anybody. He came to save everybody. But some people just didn't want to be saved. But his his spirit was to save the lot. And so Paul finishes this marvellous section by saying be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now that's all I want to say to you about Corinthians and I've left myself eight minutes and I've done that deliberately. I was planning ten so I'm two minutes late. Because brothers and sisters I want to leave a final message with you. I know this when I say this I speak on behalf of brother david and brother peter and all the brethren who come that we don't come over here just to lead studies we're not in an organization brothers and sisters where we travel around in order to have a sort of a fraternal gathering and to tickle each other's ears uh, with even with the bible uh, for the sake of learning something or uh, or maybe maybe uh, projecting our own personal image not interested in it I know when I come and I know for, I know Brother Peter and I know Brother David well. We've only had a few meetings together, but I know those people. And I know, th- I know their attitude and we've talked about it. And I know this, that we haven't come here just to leave. I've come here to help you. So are they, brothers and sisters. And we need help. Now, believe me, I'm going to tell you, look, I don't believe any of us understand, begin to understand, what's going to happen in the future i believe that the stage is being set for the greatest drama of all history and if you think about it brothers and sisters the coming of the lord jesus christ is the greatest thing and we know this that he's not coming simply to save us that's not the issue we will be saved in what he's coming to do he's coming to glorify his father on the earth isn't he he's coming to to build this world a a fit place for his father to dwell that's the paramount thing in his mind and I can tell you what's in the father's mind and I'm not talking about chapter and verse now brothers and sisters. I'm talking about what I know to be the nerve of the Bible and I know this that the father is preparing this world for his son that when his son steps upon the stage of the world's history they will adore him and so there's wickedness abroad and heaven waits brothers and sisters the long suffering of god is waiting and the wickedness is going to come to its pinnacle as it did in the days of the lord fill you up the measure of your fathers as it did in the days of jeremiah when he told them that they were filling up the measure of their fathers as it did in the days of noah when the wickedness of man had got to a point that god could no longer stand it and every crisis in history didn't come because people were righteous every crisis in history came because people were abjectly wicked and people in this world, the, the world's going to go mad, brothers and sisters, it is. And it's bordering on that now. It's teetering around like a drunken man. And the world is about to burst upon us. Now, I don't think any of us understand what's coming. The financial world is tottering on at its brink look brothers and sisters, we're on the edge of an enormous collapse morally socially financially religiously in every other way and the Middle East is going to become a cauldron and who knows where we're going to be taken away who knows at what stage we'll be taken out of the world and what I want to tell you that, that God is doing that that when his son is comes and puts an end to it all when people pick themselves up out of the dust and they learn what it's all about they'll say what a wonderful person he is what a marvellous man wonderful counselor the mighty ale the prince of peace and they'll adore him brothers and sisters and this is what god has done he's preparing this stage for his son and we are incidental to all this though he loves us and we can be incorporated in that purpose now my appeal to you is this that as we move into that era we're going to need each other we really are And if we don't think we need each other, I'll tell you something else that you'll have to agree with. Your children are going to need you. Your children will not withstand this onslaught. And I'm not the judge of all the earth, brothers and sisters, just as well I'm not. But I'll tell you what I've observed. I'm a, a very observant person. And as I move around the world, I can observe this, that your children, your children, everywhere, not just here, everywhere, are totally confused with this world. Our kids are in mortal danger. Not here, in Adelaide as well. And they want you to you united. And you know the best way you can unite. That if I was to return here, brothers and sisters, and we would be made one party in the Ecclesias in Texas, it would be my sincere desire and hope that you'd all belong to the weak. we would be made one party in the ecclesias in Texas it would be my sincere desire and hope that you'd all belong to the weak the whole bang lot of you. That you wouldn't go near anything that will degrade your ecclesia or your young people. And that there wouldn't be any question that crept into your ecclesia where there was even a sniff or a suspicion that to allow that would lead to gross corruption that I'd all like to see you weak. To the extent you kept right away from it, every vestige of it. And that you don't let your kids see that a glass of wine here and there is all right, because next thing you'll pick them up out of the gutter drunk. And, brothers and sisters, wherever I go, and in Adelaide it's true, we got kids who drink, drink heavily. And you don't suggest to them, Uh, that it's a petty issue to have things dangling from your body where your body's got to be pierced to get it there. Because that's a suggestion of bodily vanity that is excessive and is a trademark of the world. They are not petty issues. They're serious issues. And you don't suggest to your kids that picture shows are all right if they're rated G. I don't go to the pictures, but I know people who do. And what's G today would have been R when I was a kid. And what I want you to be aware of is this, brothers and sisters. All be aware of this that your children are growing up in a world where they've got no basis of comparison with a better world. People my age grew up in a world that was different. We're not better than our teenagers and they're not worse than we are. The difference is the world we lived in. As a lad of 22 I came into the truth in the Adelaide Ecclesia which numbered 600 people. And there were Ecclesias all over Australia and there were quite a number of Christadelphians. And from east to west, and north and south in Australia, everybody knew the divorced brother. See him over there? That's the divorced brother. We only had one. And now, you wouldn't know who's who. I feel sorry for people in that situation. I'm not here to condemn them. I know there are circumstances, excruciating circumstances. I'm not here to condemn that, brother. All I'm saying to you that even those people who were not the guilty party and have succumbed, even those people were, 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 the, were victims, brothers and sisters, of a social world that is absolutely collapsing around about us. They are not petty issues. We're here to help people. But brothers and sisters, if we don't get our act together, if I'm telling you, it's so obvious, and your kids are growing up in a world. Brothers and sisters, when, we, when, I, when I came in the truth at 22, I came in the worst of the world. I didn't know the meaning of certain terms which describe people with an alternate lifestyle. I didn't know what it meant. And I was a Viking your kids know it back to front and they go to school every day and they're surrounded by these alternate lifestyles and to them they believe it's wrong like you believe it's wrong but they don't believe it with the same intensity that you do and therefore there's a tremendous danger that the lines become blurred brothers and sisters let me tell you something let this be the fundamental truth the God in that Bible when he wrote to Moses is the same God that exists in 1998 he hasn't changed an atom. And if we want to know what his, uh, his attitude is to the alternate lifestyle, go to Sodom and Gomorrah, which is the lowest place in the, in the world, nearly 1,500 feet below sea level. He blew it out of the earth. Blew it sky high. That was his attitude and is no different today. And so, brothers and sisters, you need to be protective, overprotective of your children you need to know this that it is nothing today and i'm talking not talking about your youth group only i'm talking about youth groups everywhere and i've got incontrovertible evidence of this from kids themselves that have come and cried on my shoulder That boy and girl relationships before marriage is rife in some areas brother did you know that and so you don't have sleepovers you and your wife go out for the night and leave them alone you don't do that and you get your act and you clean it up brothers and if we don't I tell you what we're doomed now you might think that's pretty strong talking but I wanted to say that brothers and sisters because the people have been coming to me about issues that they want me to define for them what's, what is weak and what is strong what's petty and what's not petty well I'm telling you I'm really talking about petty issues here through 1 Corinthians 9, 8, 9 and 10 they are not petty issues They are darn serious issues. They are issues of life and death, brothers and sisters. And we've got to get our act together. And i tell you something, if we're going to help our young people, we've got to be united because there's no way in the wide world they're going to listen to us if we're divided. You know, Brother Thomas said this. We know what Brother Thomas said about husband and wife, but this is what he said. And he never said more wiser words than this. He said, Children can never be well raised unless parents are well married. And neither can the children of an ecclesia be well raised unless the brethren and sisters are well married together. It won't happen. First and foremost, what you people have all got to do in Texas, in close proximity to each other, in order to keep this school going, you've got to make absolutely certain that you're all united on the basis of what will corrupt and what will not corrupt, and you should come out of that discussion all in the weak party. Because in the end, brothers and sisters, they were the strongest because that attitude of mind kept them miles away from that temptation and they weren't affected by it. And those who thought they could extend this and extend that because they thought that it wasn't a real issue and because they wanted to help this person, there was a half compromise finished up in that temple, brothers and sisters, with a prostitute. Now be told that that is true. That's what that book teaches And as I say, I don't want to leave this school on a negative note and I don't want you to think badly of me. Brothers and sisters, if I didn't love you, I never would have said that. I I don't say I love you just because I want to say that to flatter you. I've I've learnt over the years to love you all. And even those I've met for the first time, I can't help but love you. That's me. So I haven't said this because I want to upset you. I haven't said this to appear superior. I haven't said this, brothers and sisters, to set each other's throats. I'm appealing to you all for the love of God and the love of each other. Believe me, if we don't do this, we're going to lose a brotherhood. Do you, what do you think? Brothers, how do you think I feel? How do you think anyone feels? Do you know what I feel? I don't feel secure in Adelaide. I don't feel secure because I belong to a big ecclesia and am relatively strong, relatively I don't believe there's any such thing as strong ecclesias today but I don't feel secure there I, I, I tremble and I shake because as I go around I see the truth I see the foundations everywhere are shaking. I'm worried but for my sake I mean that brothers and sisters I call God as my witness I mean that I, because I I'm a very gregarious person I need encouragement I could never live alone I could I wouldn't survive in isolation I would not And when I come to these schools and I meet people who thrill me, I go home built up and I worry all over the place that I can see it. It's going and I know when it goes, I'm likely to go with it. So it's selfishness, spiritual selfishness that I'm making appeal. And that's true, brothers and sisters. Believe me. And so my final appeal, therefore, let's all try and and do something for Christ before he comes and and let's say that when he comes we'll we'll, we'll be on an earth where the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and that in all circumstances of our life, in all the avenues with which we work and and walk and talk, we'll walk as if this world was the holy place clean hands and a pure heart and let's all unite brothers and sisters and if we've got a doubt if we think well you know, this might tend to extreme. I know they are extremes, brother. I'm not asking you to be extreme. But ask yourself the question, if I allowed this because I react against extremism, will it be an adverse effect upon my ecclesia? Think it through. I speak as to wise men. Think it through. And if the answer is, yes, it could lead that way, then get out of it. Stop it. And brothers and sisters, finally, do all, do everything to the glory of God.